Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and this is going to be part of a series I'm going to be doing in the coming uh, months, and that is one about legendary weapons. I love weapons, especially swords. Maybe it's because I've been a fan of Dungeons and Dragons and a fan of video role-playing games for many years, and perhaps also part of it is being a student of the martial arts. I enjoy the study of weapons, not just how you might use them, but also some of the folklore and uh, mythology that goes behind weapons and culture. So in this series, I'm going to take a look at various historical and legendary weapons, and then we're going to give you some ideas for how you might stat them out for your role-playing games, specifically going to be focusing on Dungeons and & Dragons and for, these, for these episodes. But, of course, a clever game master should be able to convert them to other systems as well. One of the things that's interesting about some of these weapons is they are believed to actually still exist in that locked away in a museum behind a display case there is a weapon that is supposedly this legendary historical weapon now of course not the entire weapon might still be existing it's quite possible in some cases that you know the weapon did go through different repairs and upgrades over the years for example maybe the sword's blade is still original but they eventually added a new cross guard or maybe added a new hilt for whatever reason maybe something became damaged or it's also possible that they just decided now nah, let's make let's uh, give it a little bit of a shiny coat here and maybe add some jewels or some other interesting feature to it so we'll begin our look at historical legendary weapons of France, Italy, and Spain in just a moment. Just a quick announcement before we begin. It was a dark and stormy night, and the hosts of the Queens of the Damned podcast had just gathered around the fire with their tomes of forgotten lore. Don't forget the wine! and a lot of wine, much of which had already been imbibed. For her part, Miranda was discussing A history of Frankenstein, from its conception to Karloff's beloved role as the monster. And Rachel would continue with Vincent Price. Like, everything about Vincent Price. And as the fire died down, Nikki would conclude the evening With something related to gothic literature, probably. You know me so well. Like listening to three women debate about the cultural significance of the horror genre? And also axe murders. I do love a good old-timey axe murder story. Then Queens of the Damned, a horror podcast, is the show for you. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere you can download a podcast. Visit us at queensofthedamnedpodcast.wordpress.com, qotdpodcast.podbean.com, or email us at qotdpodcast at gmail.com for more details about our monthly horror giveaways. Stay spooky! And we're back. 
Now, I'd like to mention that I'm probably going to be doing a fair amount of mispronunciation in this episode. I did take Spanish for a few years back in high school, but my Spanish is a bit rusty. I'll probably be a little closer to the correct pronunciation for the Spanish part of today's show. But never took French, never took Italian, so I will most likely not be pronouncing those names correctly. So please forgive me if my pronunciation is a little bit off. So we're going to start by taking a look at a sword from France called Durandal. Now, the lineage of this weapon can be somewhat uh, confusing to trace here because according to folklore, this weapon was forged by someone named Wayland the Smith, who is a figure that appears in Germanic and Nordic mythology. Now, the sword was also believed to have been used by Hector of Troy. So somehow we have this sword that was forged by a Nordic blacksmith somehow made its way into the hands of a Trojan warrior, and then eventually came to be owned by the paladin Roland, who served under Charlemagne, King Charles the Great. Tradition says this weapon is indestructible and could slice through stone. Some traditions also state that it had holy relics built into the pommel, like a tooth from St. Peter or a scrap of cloth from clothing worn by the Virgin Mary. Now, according to folklore, Roland used this weapon to create a formation called Roland's Breach. After he was defeated at the Battle of Ronsevu Pass, he figured he had to get his men out of there and they had to try to escape. Now, they were in the Pyrenees Mountains between France and Spain, and he didn't want the sword to fall into enemies' hands, so he decided he was going to try to destroy it. And, of course, since the sword is indestructible, that's going to be very difficult. Well, he struck it against the mountain, and instead of the sword being destroyed, it created a breach, a large gap. And uh, other traditions, though, state that he threw it into a cliff, Again, to keep it out of the reach of this en these enemies. However, this sword is in the township of Ramakur. Now, since, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Rokamadur, I think that's how it's pronounced, Rokamadur. Now, it's quite a distance from the France-Spain border, so obviously both of these legends can't be true. It has to be one or the other. I think I personally kind of like the the Roland's Breach story because it just it, again I like it when it connects it to natural. I like it when a legend connects something to something in the real real world. Now in that city of uh, Ross Ross well you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, there is actually a sword that they do have. Uh, stuck into a cliffside. However, it is obviously a replica. So how would we stat this sword out? I would probably stat it out as a Vorpal sword because, according to legend, he did use it to sever the hand of an enemy king 
and used also used it to decapitate the king's son. Since it was believed to be indestructible, I would also probably give it immunity to the corrosion effects of a rust monster. I might even give it some holy properties as well. Again, since the pommel was believed to have a holy relic built into it, I could see giving it a bonus against undead demons and devils. Or another possibility is if you didn't want to make it too much more powerful, because let's face it, an invincible and indestructible Vorpal Sword is already pretty, pretty strong as it is. Maybe what you could do is, if it's being used by a paladin or a priest that is allowed to use swords, maybe you could give, you could uh, allow that uh, the holy property of that sword to grant them a bonus to any attempts to turn undead. Well, next we have Joyus. This is the sword of King Charlemagne. It's currently on display in the National Museum of the Middle Ages, Cluny, in Paris. Supposedly, this sword took three years to forge, and within its construction, it included shards of the Holy Lance, a weapon we'll be talking about in just a moment. Now, parts of the weapon have been replaced over the years, and eventually it became the Coronation Sword of France. However, there is a rumor that the sword was replaced by a replica sometime around the time of Napoleon. The sword is said to have been able to shine brighter than the sun, and it changed color 30 times per day. Legend also says the person who holds the sword is immune to poison, so I could see those being things we could very easily work into Dungeons and Dragons, where, again, the person using the sword is immune to poison, and as far as the its properties with uh, being able to shine brighter than the sun, I would give it power similar to a sunblade, which in sec- first and second edition is plus two, plus four against undead and creatures that draw upon the negative material plane. And there is also the sun ray effect it can produce as well. Because it changes color so much, I would also give it the ability to cast maybe a minor spell like color spray. If you really want to make the sword powerful, I suppose you could even give it the ability to cast a spell like prismatic wall or prismatic spray, but you're going to want to make that something that it can maybe only do once a month because, you know, a sword that gives you this bonus against undead and makes you immune to poison, that's already pretty powerful as it is. Well, next we're moving on to Italy. And the first weapon I'd like to talk about from this country is Balisarda. And this sword belonged to a character named Ruggiero from a poem called Orlando Furioso. Ruggiero was the son of a Christian knight and a Saracen princess. He was raised by a wizard named Atlante, after his father was murdered and his mother died. Ruggiero had two possible destinies. The first is that he would convert to Christianity and found a line of heroes, but he would die shortly after getting married. The other is that he would remain a Saracen, 
but he would also cause the downfall of the Frankish Empire. So the wizard that rose him, he kept him hidden away in this invisible castle with, with magic and various spells, but eventually he got out of that. And I do apologize, I didn't read the actual poem, I am just, just read some, some uh, plot summaries of it, so I'm, I don't remember exactly how he eventually got out of this uh, walled castle that he was pretty much forced to live in. But after several adventures, he is taken by a hippogriff to an island near India. There, he is charmed by a sorceress named Alcina, but is eventually freed by another sorceress named Melissa. He rescues a princess named Angelica from a sea monster, and some of the artistic depictions show it in a very similar way that artists have depicted Perseus and his battle against uh, the sea monster. Now, I couldn't really find a lot of specifics, but from what I could find about Balisarda is that it was made by a sorceress and it could cut through enchanted materials. So when I read that, that actually made me think of a weapon that I remember from a, a Dragonlance supplement. So this would have been back in first edition. But I remember there's a sword there called Spell Cleaver. Though it also had another name, um, Mage Fool. I think it was also called Dark Star. And it may have had another name as well. It was just a plus one, plus two versus magic users. But it did have the ability to destroy magical barriers. So I could see that you could give this sword the ability to possibly dispel something like a wall of fire or a wall of ice. And I might even give it the ability to cast Dispel Magic once per day as well. Well, next is the Holy Lance. This is the spear that pierced Jesus during the crucifixion. It is also called the Lance of Loganus and the Spear of Destiny. The soldier who used it, though, was not named in the Bible. So the name Loganus comes from other sources and later traditions. There are several relics today that claim to be the Holy Lance, or at least people believe is the Holy Lance, one of which is in Rome. However, uh, there's also relics in Vienna, Poland, and Armenia, Armenia that have also been claimed to be the Holy Lance. The reason I'm putting it in Rome here is I figured it was fitting because with Rome being the center of power for the Catholic Church and its connection to uh, Catholicism. So again, that's why I just thought it appropriate to include it here. There is one opera based on the legend of the Fisher King that the spear produces wounds that will not heal. Modern folklore also claims that the person who possesses the lance will rule the world. Supposedly, Adolf Hitler was obsessed with finding the lance. So how would we stat this out? Even though it's a spear, I would give it the properties of a sword of wounding, and maybe even give it the damage of a long sword because, you know, just the power of the weapon. Now, I would also give it powers that awe and inspire others, again, coming from the belief that the person who 
possesses the spear will rule the world. Now, as far as the part about it being with being holy, since again, it was used to uh, pierce Jesus's side, I could see giving it other holy properties as well. Maybe like a damage bonus against devils, demons, and evil outer planar creatures. Speaking of Rome, one of the scourges of Rome was Attila the Hun. And there is a sword that is attributed to Attila. It's sometimes called, well, just the sword of Attila. Other times it's called the sword of Mars or the sword of the war god. According to legend, a shepherd noticed that one of his animals had a wounded foot. He followed the trail of blood and found the sword in the grass. He took it to Attila, who believed this was a divine gift and proof that he would one day rule the world. Some legends claim that the sword of Attila, though, was actually joy use. Now, I couldn't find much attributing powers to the sword, so I had to make up some, uh, just come up with some ideas off the top of my head. I could see it giving it fear effects, though I would also possibly even make it a cursed weapon in that it produces overconfidence, perhaps allowing the wielder to get sloppy or make mistakes. Another possibility is if you use granted powers in your campaign setting, maybe if there's any, since the sword has a connection to a war god, that the sword could be sacred to that specific god and it could bestow the appropriate powers. And finally, Spain. The first weapon I'd like to talk about is Espada Lobera, which translates something to the effect of wolf hunting sword. This is another one of those weapons that does actually exist. It's currently at the Cathedral of St. Mary of the Sea in Seville, which is located in Andalusia in southern Spain. Now there is another sword with the same name that's located at the Royal Armory in Madrid, though that particular sword appears to be ceremonial as opposed to functional. It is said that this sword belonged to Fernan Gonzalez of Castile before being passed on to Ferdinand. So this weapon was used by Ferdinand III of Castile, who according to Pope Innocent IV was an invincible champion of Jesus Christ. He used it as a symbol of power and authority as opposed to the more traditional rod or scepter. So a lot of paintings of him depict him holding a sword and an orb as opposed to a scepter or a rod and an orb. Now, the sword was said to be of great virtue, and it could make the user invincible. However, I didn't really, wasn't able to find any specifics, so I would pretty much stat this one out as a holy sword, because again, it did have that uh, connection to the church, and again, it was said that the, the person who used it would be a champion of Jesus. So that's why I could see it being a, a good example of a holy sword. Now, the last two weapons I'd like to talk about are both affiliated with a person named El Cid, whose real name was Rodrigo Diaz de Vivar. 
He was called El Cid by the Arabs, which means something to the effect of the Lord. And the Spaniards called him El Campador, which, or El Campeador, which means something to the effect of outstanding warrior. Now, he was an interesting person as he was known for having books on Greek and Roman military strategy read to his troops before battle for inspiration. He was also said to have used unorthodox strategies and some might even say psychological warfare. Before battle, he would also hold brainstorming sessions with his troops to come up with new strategies. So he was a very intelligent, very competent leader, and he was also known to be able to inspire loyalty from his troops. Now there is one legend, and again I'm pretty sure that this is just a legend, is that after he died he during the siege, he was tied to his horse and he was sent out to inspire the troops as well as strike fear into the hearts of his enemies. Again, this is likely just a legend, though. I remember in one of my Spanish classes, we did uh, learn a little bit about El Cid, and I do remember watching a movie based on his life. The first of the two swords associated with El Cid is called Tizonia, which translated means firebrand. This sword is currently on display at the Museum of Burgos. Now, according to the poem, El Cantar del Mio Cid, he got the sword from his previous owner, King Yusef, and then it was passed on eventually to one of his sons-in-law, but then came back to his possession. Now, Tizona's power appears to depend on the wielder, its primary one being to frighten unworthy opponents. So, as far as a bonus... I would probably give it a plus two, maybe a plus three. And there is a line in that that poem where it does talk about the power that Tizona supposedly has. One of his uh, knights is going to fight against Pero Vermudez. And El Cid gives the sword to uh, Fernan Gonzalez. The first of the two swords associated with El Cid is called Tizona, which means firebrand. This weapon is currently on display at the Museum of Burgos. Now, according to the poem El Cantar de Mio Cid, the weapon seems to have power based on the wielder, and its primary power is to frighten unworthy opponents. So as far as numeric bonuses, I would probably give it a plus two or plus three. And we know that it can frighten unworthy opponents from the following lines in the poem. Now, in the poem, El Cid gives the weapon to Pero Vermundes, and he goes to fight against a man named Fernan Gonzalez. Verses 3,642 to 3,645. He, Piero Vermundes, let go the lance and took the sword in hand. When Fernan Gonzalez saw that, he recognized Tizona. And before the expected blow, he said, 
I am defeated. Now, exactly how you want to work this with frightening, unworthy opponents, that's going to be up to you. So I, I, you'd have to kind of play it by ear, I guess. So if a character is going to fight someone that obviously has no chance to defeat him, then I could see using that as an example of an unworthy opponent. Or maybe one who just, for whatever reason, you just feel doesn't deserve the honor to die in battle against that particular character. So that would be its primary power. The second of El Cid's two swords is called Colada, which means cast steel. Currently, it only exists in legend, and there are no known swords that people believe rep is Colada. Now, it's said that this weapon could also frighten unworthy opponents, and some other verses in the poem give us a little bit more uh, information. El Cid gave it to one of his knights to use in battle. And it, the verses go like this. Martin Antolinez took the sword in hand. It lights up all the field. It is so clean and bright. He gave him a blow. He hit him a glancing blow. It broke away the top of his helmet. It cut away all the helmet straps. It tore off the mailed hood and reached the coif. The coif and the hood were all ripped away. It cut the hairs on his head, and it reached well into the flesh. One part fell on the ground, the other remained. When precious Colada struck this blow, Diego Gonzalez saw that he would not escape with his soul. He turned his horse to face his opponent. At that moment, Martin Antolinez hit him with the sword. He struck him broadside. With the cutting edge, he did not hit him. Diego Gonzalez, his sword in hand, but he does not use it. At that moment, the Infante began to shout, Help me, God, glorious Lord, and protect me from this sword. So, this one I would probably give a relatively low bonus, though. Maybe plus two or plus one. But... I think you, based on the, those two verses in the poem there, I think there's another interesting power we could attribute to this sword. It seems that it has some ability to destroy armor. So even though it might only be a plus one or plus two weapon, I would give it the ability to ignore armor. So let's say you've got someone who has a you know, plus five bonus from armor, and then maybe the rest of their defense bonus, let's just say plus three, comes from dexterity or skills, they would only get the part of their defensive bonus that comes from dex or skills. I would also maybe give it another ability. That is, if you score a critical hit with it, it damages the enemy's armor, perhaps rendering it either less effective or entirely ineffective. So there you have it, some swords from and weapons from Italy, France, and Spain, and how I think you might be able to convert them to Dungeons & Dragons. So hopefully this has given you some interesting ideas, and in the future I hope to do more episodes about various legendary and historical weapons, and some of these names might actually sound familiar as well, because if you've played 
you know, a lot of old school role playing games. I know those swords tend to come up here and there. I I know joy use did come up in a couple of the Castlevania games, and and I'm sure Durandal did as well. Well, with that said, I'd like to thank you for tuning in and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.